so desperately needed. We praise you, God, that in your great love you sent your Son for us, and we praise you, Jesus, that you came for us. Help us now as we look into your word to understand the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you like to hear a message from God? Not just a sermon, but would you like to hear a message from God? If God invited you into his presence, and when you were there, you learned that you could audibly hear him, and you also learned that he had something that he wanted to say to you, would you be interested? Would that be worth your time, to go there to God, and to listen to what he has to say to you? Now, for most of us that have come here, at least, to church on a Sunday morning, I would assume that we would say, yeah, I would be really interested in that. I even think that if we were to ask just anybody out on the, on the street, people who didn't go to church today, people who don't usually go to church, if we were to ask them, if we were to give them that same opportunity, I think that a high percentage of them would at least be intrigued by the offer of hearing something from God. You know, some people might be a little bit scared. I'm not sure that he would have nice things to say to me. I'm not sure that he would have things to say that I would want to hear. But I think, I think there is a high percentage of people that would at least be intrigued by the offer of hearing from God. Now, I used to hope that God would send a sign. I used to think it would be cool if God would just drop a neon sign out of the sky right into my path. I used to think that especially when I was a single man and I was trying to think who I should marry. I just wish that a sign, it's her. Um, that's not usually how God works. In fact, if you were to talk to a lot of people, even Christians, sometimes what you'd find is that we might feel like God is distant. Anybody in here, I don't need a show of hands, but anybody in here ever felt that way about God? feeling like you wish that God would show up, you wish that God would say something, but you don't hear anything? Or perhaps even for us in here, we might say that we believe in God in our heads, but sometimes we question whether we truly know him, whether we truly hear from him. So what's our answer? Does God lead us? Does God have a message for us? Well, to answer that question, I want to look at the first part of the Gospel of John today. Maybe you don't think about that as a traditional Christmas passage. Usually when we look at the Christmas passages in the Bible, we look at the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Those are the two Gospels that tell of the birth of Jesus. And we learn a lot about Jesus there. But it's interesting, in the Gospel of John, you, you could say, John doesn't say it this way, but I think for our perspective today, as we look at Christmas time, we could say that John is answering a question about who is that baby in the manger. Matthew and Luke have already told us who, who he is, but who is he really? Who, who is this baby who came, the Son of God, that the angels came and the stars shone? Who is this baby? What is it about him? We'll see shortly in our passage today, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's a story of incarnation. And if you're not familiar with that word, it's just a Latin word which means in the flesh. It's a story of God coming down to us, becoming a human. So again, the question is, who is this baby in a manger? Not this one, this is just a doll here. Who was that baby 2,000 years ago? And for John, the answer to that question is loaded with deep meaning. It's loaded theologically. Now, don't lose me here. I, I use the T word. Um, 
And we're going to talk some theology today, but what I love about John 1 is this theology is so practical and so accessible. It's actually really deep. It's one of the deepest theological passages in the Bible. But here's what I like to think. We are all theologians. Anybody here ever had a thought about God? If so, you are a theologian. We all believe things about God, and and the, the trick is, that we should believe the right things about God. And what I love about John 1 is it is going to give us theology put simply. Theology that's within our grasp, because I think actually that's what the Christmas story is. God wanted us to know that he wants to be with us. That God himself is accessible. That's why he sent Jesus in human form to live amongst us. So we're going to look at John 1, 1 through 14, and it's not my point today to try to explain everything that's in there. Rather, my point today is to look at this passage through the lens of Christmas. So I want to read the passage now, John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we're going to look first at verses 1 through 3 and 14. I'm going to spend kind of the bulk of my sermon looking at those verses. And the reason I include verse 14 in there, this this is just a helpful tip for you. Uh, You look at verses 1 through 3, what they say about the Word, and then verse 14 tells us who the Word is. And and we don't have to wait very long to figure out it's talking about Jesus. When When it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is Jesus. You read John 1, that becomes very clear. And if it reminds you when it says in the beginning was the word, if that reminds you of the very first verse in the Bible, I think it should. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now John says in the beginning was the word. So looking even further back than just his coming to us in a manger to be born, we see that Jesus was in the beginning God and was with God. That's Jesus. He's called there, the Word. Now, I I have a lot of stuff here to unpack through verses 1 through 3. I hope you're going to stay with me because there's some really, really awesome things that we're going to learn about Jesus. And one of them that I want to point out here is that his name is the Word. Now, in the Old Testament, God's Word is how he communicated to people. If you were to keep your eyes open for phrases like, the Word of the Lord came to, you see it all over the place. That's how God talked. If you wanted to give a message, he sent his word. And that's just what the word, word means. Word means message. So when God wanted his people to know something, he sent his word. His word is also the way in the Old Testament that God delivered, that God healed, 
that God created. And let's think about that creation one there for a moment. God created the universe. And in the Old Testament, we, we simply see that God created. But when you fast forward to the New Testament, we see in at least three places, right here in John 1, also in Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1, that Jesus created. Now, I don't think that we should take that to understand that, um, that God the Father didn't create. I think what we should take it to mean is that all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, were active in creation. So when it says, in the beginning was the Word, one of the things we can understand is that the world came into existence through Jesus. That's why it says in verse 10, though the world was made through him. So that's who the Word is. He is the one who created He is the one who has a message for us. And as I said, um, this is theology put simply. There's a story going around Christianity. I don't know if it's true. Who can know if it's true by now? It's almost like one of those legends. But it's said that there was an eight-year-old girl who was asked the question, why is Jesus called the Word? And maybe some of you have heard this answer. Why is Jesus called the Word? She said, because Jesus is what God wanted to say to us. Isn't that really cool? So there's your theology lesson for the day. What does God want to say to us? If you were to go into God's presence, if he had something to say to you, would you want to hear it? Well, do you know what he wants to say to us? Jesus. We look at Jesus and we learn exactly what God wants to tell us. That's why he's called the Word, the message. He is the message of God. Okay, uh, boy, I'm, I feel like I'm just missing all sorts of stuff here as we go along. But boy, this thing is just loaded with theology. It says, in the beginning, he's the creator. He's the one, think about Genesis 2-7, when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam. It says here in our passage today that Jesus had life in him. So perhaps it was Jesus who was breathing life into the nostrils of Adam. We learn here about the eternal existence of the Word. There's one if you want to rack your brain for a little bit. Try thinking about God existing forever. And then remember that God existed forever as the Trinity. That, that's what we believe. We, we believe that neither the, the Holy Spirit nor God the Son were created. That, that all three members of the Trinity have always existed. And that's going to be really important in a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something about that. Okay, but let's look at, there's even more here. Verse 1, it says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. How can a person be both someone and be with someone? Um, think about that. From my perspective, I'm married to Christine. It doesn't work for me to say, I am Eric, and I am with Eric. Or neither does it work for me to say, I am Christine, and I'm with Christine. Because I'm not Christine. I'm with her, but I'm not her. She's with me, but she's not me. That we can't really speak that way as human beings. But here it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What in the world is going on there? Well, it's something otherworldly that's going on there. And I think the only way to understand it is to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, to some people, that sounds like foolishness to talk about three people, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, existing as one God. But the more I study the Bible, the more I find it to be amazingly true. The more I see the wonders of it. Now think about this. One of, the, one of the wonderful things we learn about the fact that God is Trinity is that God has always lived within a love relationship amongst himself. Think about that. And it kind of blows your mind to think about it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always, 
always loved each other. It's not like all of a sudden God created the universe and then he thought, oh wait, I should probably love the people that I created. No, God has always been love. So now when we think about verses like 1 John 4, 8 and 16 that says God is love. By the way, there's another theologically simple but loaded verse. God is love. Three little words that say so much. When we see those words, we recognize that the God who is always loved within himself, with that deep love, now loves us. So I think when we look at verse 1, we see wonderful truths about the Trinity and the implications are so deep for us because it's this, this immense God with this immense love showing his love to us. And from that deep love, he sent Jesus. So Jesus Christ, being part of the Trinity, is fully God. He always has been, always will be. But then there's more. Excuse me here. In verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let's look at the phrase, made his dwelling. The word literally refers to living in a tent. Now, if you've got your Old Testament glasses on and you're looking at this verse through the lens of the Old Testament, what might you think of if you think about a tent? Anybody want to guess? Bonnie? The tabernacle. Good job, Bonnie. All right. Hey, you got a candy bar in Sunday school. Maybe I should give you another one now. I've got them right here for you. So. Um, the tabernacle was the place that God told his people to meet with him. And over the tabernacle, there was a tent. And altogether, it was called the tent of meeting. Why was it a tent of meeting? Is it because that's where they held their meetings? No, it's because that's where they met with God. In Exodus 29:42, of that tabernacle, of that tent of meeting, God said, there I will meet with you and speak to you. So just stop and think about that. The God of the universe created these people. They were wandering down on earth. And he said to them, make this place and I will meet with you there. God's desire was, was to give his words to his people, to be with his people and to meet with them. And think about the heart of God in that. He didn't have to do that. It's not like there was some other God who looked at what our God did and said, hey, you created those people, you better go talk to them. And he's like, okay, okay, fine. I'll build a little tent and they'll keep No, God wanted to do that. God wanted to give his message to his people. That's who our God is. He loves to reveal himself to us, and the way he does it is by dwelling with us. So when it says here in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, it's supposed to remind us that God has something to say to us, that God loves us so much that he wants to be with us and to give us his message about how we should live. Remember another name of Jesus, Emmanuel? It means God with us. So if you're ever wondering again where God is, do you ever have that question? Maybe you're going through a difficult time in life and you're saying, where is God in the midst of this? Or maybe you're just going through a, a dry season of your life where other times have been really great, but now you're just kind of feeling maybe a little bit distant from God. you ever ask that question, where is God? Well, we know the answer. Because God sent Jesus, God is with us in Jesus Christ. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with God, and he is with you. It's amazing. God the Son dwells with us. Eventually the Bible tells us that God wants to dwell with us forever. Revelation 21.3 says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
It's not just that God will be our God in heaven. It's that he's going to be with us. And in fact, God is with us now because he sent Jesus to be with us. So in the birth of Christ, we see very clearly God wants to be with us. There's one other thing I want to point out about verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh. Now, I don't have time to flesh all of this out. If you, uh, okay, thank you. That's a pastor joke. You're supposed to laugh at it. But um, the eternal God, who has lived forever in eternity, and again, think specifically about God the Son, lived in a wonderful place, wonderful fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit since eternity passed, why would he leave that and come to us? Now, don't misunderstand. He didn't stop being God. He didn't lose his connection with the Father or with the Holy Spirit. Part of the doctrine of the Trinity is that Jesus remained God even here on earth. He's, he's always been 100% God, even as a human. But when he became human, he also became 100% human. So um, it, it's maybe a little bit hard for some people to grasp, but actually, just very simply put, 100% God, 100% man. That's who Jesus Christ is. Philippians 2 says Jesus was in very nature God, yet he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So again, the eternal God, the Son, took on human flesh. I'll think about that for a moment. If, if the flesh here is talking about our physical body, any of you ever had anything go wrong with your physical body? <laughs> All right, I wasn't expecting laughter there, but uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, anybody ever experienced the pain of being human, whether that's a physical pain of something going wrong with your body or the emotional pain of something going wrong with a relationship or of watching somebody die? Why would the eternal God, the Son, come down and do that? I think it was uh, Christine who said something like this this week or a couple weeks ago. What kind of God does that? comes down to us and becomes like us. God wanted so deeply to get his message across to us that he sent Jesus to be born as one of us to give us the message, to be the message. And in the next verse in Philippians 2, I mentioned that chapter before, it says that he not only took on flesh, but he also humbled himself to the point of death. Like, like Dan mentioned earlier, he didn't come just to be born, he came to die, to die for our sins. So Jesus isn't just with us, he is also for us. God the Son came because God wants us to know him. And as you look at anything that Jesus did in his life, we can look at it now through the lens of understanding that he is God. Everything he did, he did because he is God, because he loves us, because God wants us to know him. He wanted us to know what God is like. He wanted us to know things about God. But even more than that, he wants us to know God. To have that relationship with him. Before Jesus came, it says in John 1.18 that no one had ever seen God. But now Jesus has made him known to us. Now, there's more in those verses, I'm sure. Um, I've missed some things. But for now, I just want you to know that we have the word of God with us. Not just words on paper, not just facts about him, although those are wonderful things, but we have God himself with us. Jesus, the word, is with us. 
And it's not just that he was with us 2,000 years ago when he walked on this earth. He is with us still. And I want to show you that in a moment. But let's move on to verse 4. It says, In him, the word, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. I want to tell you a little story from my life about light. And I have a reason for telling you this story. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, it has to do with Christmas lights. How do you feel about Christmas lights? Um, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Christmas lights. The hate part usually comes first, and then the love part. Uh, I don't want to get into all of my difficulties with Christmas lights this year. I usually have difficulty every year with them. I mean, some of you men know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and I'm just going to tell one story. We have an artificial tree, and we put up our artificial tree this year, and we plug it in, and only one-third of the lights work, the middle third. So we, it doesn't work on the bottom, it doesn't work on the top. And uh, in her mercy or grace or one of those things... Um, torture, or maybe, I don't know, Christine bought me something that says on the front of the package, simply fixes Christmas lights. Oh, really? It, it's a thing, it looks like a gun, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. It's just, what do I do? I stand back and shoot the thing? I, that would solve the problem, right? Um, okay, so this gun, it, I, I open the thing up, and I see there's like six pages of instructions, and then there's also like a simple page of instructions. So I read the simple one, and like, okay, you take some of the light bulbs out, and you stick the socket into this gun thing, and then you press the trigger, and it's supposed to do something in there to fix it. But it says there you have to find the right one, so it's like a process of trial and error. You take one off, you put the gun in, you put it, it wasn't that one, you do the next one, you do the next one. I'm doing this for like 20 minutes, and I'm not finding the light, I'm not finding the light. And finally, I think to myself, I should read the longer set of directions. So I had set the longer set of directions behind me on the couch. I go around to, to look at the directions, and they're not there. They're just not there. And I, I look around a little bit, and I've got four kids around, and I'm like, where are the directions go? I'm trying to talk to my three-year-old. Did you take the directions? Yes. <laughs> or no. Where'd you put them? I don't know. Uh, they're just gone. So I'm look, I, I kid you not, I spent about 15 minutes looking around my house for these directions. The kids are helping. Christine is helping. We're all looking for these directions. We cannot find them. And after a while, I finally just give up. Um, you fast forward the story. About two days later, we found them next to our microwave. I have looked next to our microwave. I, you know, I don't know what happened to these things. This was a few weeks ago. If you were to ask me a few weeks ago, Eric, how do you feel about Christmas lights? I might have said to you, I could do without them. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll look at other people's lights this year. <laughs> our Christmas tree will be dark. No, but we still actually have uh, one-third of our Christmas lights up. Next, maybe when we take them down, I'll try to fix them again. Or maybe I'll get a different gun out and fix it that way. <laughs> oh, okay, I do have a point for telling that story. What was it? No. What about the Christmas light? What about Jesus? Can we do without him? Jesus is the light. What does it say in verse 4? In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, on one hand, you could think about creation. You could think about God sending light. But I think there's something more to that. I think there's something deeper about the kind of life that God wants to give us. He doesn't just want to give us physical life. He wants to give us a spiritual life. And you can think about this, this light of men that Jesus wants to put inside of us as we come to him. So verse 4 ties together these ideas of life and light. Jesus is light. He is the one who gives life. How does Jesus give life? Well, to answer that, we should fast forward and think about Easter. Now, it's Christmas time, I know, but let, let's think about Easter for a moment. How did Jesus give life? He gave life to us by giving his life for us. 
He took our sins upon himself. There was a death penalty that was upon us and we couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't make it up to God. We couldn't repay it. Jesus took our sins upon himself, died for us to pay that penalty, but then also rose again victorious. And in his resurrection, he shows that he has new life. The Bible says that he died once and he cannot die again. And the message of salvation is for us that if we give our lives to Jesus, he gives us life and we have eternal life. That even though we die physically, we won't die spiritually. That's how Jesus gives life to us. That's how he gives us that light, that true spiritual life. The only way we have that is through Jesus. There's no other way. Jesus says that clearly. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It says in 1 John 5, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's as simple as that. But there's this really sad reality concerning light. <coughs> Some people don't want it. That, that's why I told this story about Christmas lights. I, I looked at those failing Christmas lights on my tree and there was a part of me that said, I don't want those lights. What about with Jesus? The light of the world who came into the world. All too many people look at him, look at what he has to offer and say they don't want it. Verse 5 says the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it and then verses 9 through 11 the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him it's great news that light came into the world but some people don't want anything to do with him even though Jesus created the world the very people in the world that he created Many did not recognize him, didn't receive him. You see, there's this, this clash between darkness and light. Sometimes we like light, sometimes we don't. Uh, what's an example of that? I'll give you one example from my life. One time when I don't like light, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm sleeping and one of my kids comes into the bedroom and turns on a light and says, I went to the bathroom. <laughs> and in my groggy state, I say, okay, uh, in your bed or on the potty? And, and, they, and, and they say, in the potty. And I say, great. Now, why did you wake me up to tell me that? <laughs> Couldn't have I just slept? I didn't need that light. Spiritually speaking, some people don't want the light. That is just the reality about what it means that Jesus came to this world and that we're humans and we don't always recognize him. John 3, 19-20 says, Light has come into the world that men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Do you see how some people hate light? Light came into the world and it's so interesting. This word world in the Gospel of John, it doesn't most of the time refer to the stuff that God created. It refers to people living in rebellion against God. God sent light to the people who were rebelling against him. Think about where else the word world comes up in John. John 3.16, anybody familiar with that verse? For God so loved the world. If world is talking about people in rebellion against God, how does God feel about them? Does he turn his back? No. He sent his son because he loves the world. 
That's God's message for you. Again, we started off by, by asking, if, if God had a message for you, would you want to hear it? Well, God does have a message for you. It's that He loves you, and He loves you so much that He sent His Son for you. It's a wonderful message. But it's sad at the same time. The, the very people that, that God created and loves and wants to know Him are the very people, some of them, who reject Jesus. And perhaps the world is looking for someone else. Perhaps the world wants to hear a different message. Because God's message is a message that we are to give our lives to Him. The, the message of this world is do what feels good for you. And maybe that's the, the message that some people want to hold on to. But God's message is different. He sent Jesus for us. He is light. And let's realize with humility that God sent Jesus for us. It reminds me of a verse I mentioned last week, Isaiah 53.3. Speaking in prophecy of Jesus, uh, some 700 years before he died, it says, Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. God sent Jesus to be our Savior, our Lord, our King. Some people looked at him and just said, eh, I don't need him. Let's recognize that God sent Jesus for us. And there's a better response that we can give, and it's shown in verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This verse starts off with, a, with an important yet, or, or better translation would be but. Instead of rejecting the light of the world, we can receive him. And the word receive means exactly what you think it means. It means to receive like a gift. And you think about a Christmas gift that's under the tree and has your name on it. You have two choices. You can either receive that gift and open it up, or you can reject it. But whoever rejects a gift, why would we do that? Why would we look at the Son of God and the gift that He has for us and reject Him? And if there are any of you out there that are just, if, if you're coming to the point where you're realizing, I need to either receive or reject Jesus, I just ask you, why would you reject? He is the light of the world. He came to give you life. And I want to urge you to receive him. But it also says in that verse that we are to believe in his name. And the, if the word receive means exactly what you think it means, the word believe might mean a lot more than you think it means. The word believe doesn't just mean to believe in facts. It includes that. And the fact is that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins. But to believe in that means to give your life to it. To live according to those facts. So think of it this way. Jesus gave his life for you. You are to give your life to Jesus. To receive him. To believe in his name. That is God's message for us. You want to hear God's message? There it is. God sent Jesus for you. Remember what the angels said? I, I think it was read, was it in our, our Christmas program here? The angels said, it is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. That includes every single one of us here. Good news, great joy. That's God's message. The message that God knows all about your sin, but He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to be in an eternal relationship with Him. A relationship that starts now, meaning we can walk with Him now, and a relationship that lasts forever. 
That is God's message. That is what he wants for you. Let me just wrap up my sermon now with some concluding thoughts, try to tie this all together. We saw in verse 1 that the word has been with God since the beginning. And what we see later on in this passage is that the word wants to be with us too. We are invited into the fellowship of God. God didn't have to do that. He did it because he loves us. He created us and he loves us and he wants us to be with him forever. Jesus came so that we could know God and live with him. And I realize that sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And again, I just want to speak to the the human condition here. We all struggle sometimes. We all have doubts sometimes. We might even ask the question, where is God in the midst of this? Well, I want you to know there's an answer. Where is God? He is with us. In Jesus Christ, he is with us. And if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, received him as Savior and Lord, you can know that God is with you. Also, I want you to know that Jesus is light. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We don't have to walk in darkness. Isn't that wonderful? This world has all sorts of different messages for us. And I think that if we follow those messages, it ends up in darkness. It might look good, it might look kind of shiny at the beginning, but if you follow that path, it leads to darkness. God has one message of light for us, and it's the message of Jesus Christ. And in giving our hearts to him, our lives to him to follow him, we can walk in the light. There are so many people in this world that don't know why they're here. And Let me show you this. You can find this out for yourself. Think about all the people whose goal in life it is to get all out of life that they can just in this life because they think that's all there is. They think that their purpose on earth is to cram as much happiness into this life as they can because they don't know about eternal life. You see it all over the place. People that are only living for now. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to do things that make you happy or joyful. I think that God gives us those things. But we need to keep in perspective that this this portion of our life on earth is just a sliver of eternity. And we have something much, much greater to live for that God promises to give his children. Jesus is light and we can walk with him in the light. Uh, Do I have this right that today, December 21st, is the shortest day of the year? I I believe that's right. What what that means on our calendar, you can look at your calendar and be like, hooray, the days are going to get longer. There's going to be more light in the world. Spiritually speaking, that's what God has done for us on a much greater scale. Light has come into the world and we can walk in the light. We don't have to walk in darkness. That's part of God's message for you. He gives us life and light through salvation and he continues to lead us. It's not just that he gives us salvation and says, I'll see you in 50 years in heaven. It's that he continues to lead us now. He doesn't leave us alone. He guides us. That's why he sent his word, his message to us. So God had a really important message for us. And he sent it to us by sending his son. Jesus is what God wanted to say to us. Praise God for his word. If you already know Jesus, keep walking with him. He is life. He is light. He will guide you. He wants us to have abundant, joy-filled life now and for all eternity. 
And if you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't received him or believed in his name, I urge you right now to receive him. Somebody asked me just this week, how do I know when it's the right time to receive Jesus? My answer now is, if you hear him knocking on your heart, you receive him. He loves you. He desperately wants a relationship with you. Our part is to receive and to believe in his name, and I would urge you to do that. The song we're going to sing in a moment here is Joy to the World. Uh, It starts off by saying, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And that's what I want to urge you to do. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ, please receive your king and prepare room in him for your heart. You can invite him into your heart through a simple prayer, which I'd like to lead you in right now, if you're you're interested. Uh, So I'm going to close in prayer. And the first part of my prayer is for anyone who would like to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then after that, I'm going to say a prayer for all of us. So if you want to receive Jesus, you can just pray even silently with me in your heart, repeating after me. God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, I, I thank you for coming. I recognize that I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I pray now to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I also pray to receive Jesus as my Lord, my Master, my King. I give my life to you. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I now give my life to you. And then God, for all of us here, we thank you for your message, your word. Jesus, we thank you for coming. Thank you for showing us the Father. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you, God, forever. We praise you. May we never forget the wonders of the word becoming flesh and making us dwelling among us. Thank you, God, that you are with us. We praise you for your love and your plan, for your word. In whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite